This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Welcome to The Guardian Long Read, showcasing the best long-form journalism covering culture, politics, and new thinking. For the text version of this and all our long reads, go to theguardian.com forward slash long read. How to Kill a God, The Myth of Captain Cook Shows How the Heroes of Empire Will Fall, by Anna Della Subin. In a type of neoclassical painting one might call the apotheosis of X, the dead hero is bundled up to heaven by a host of angels, usually in a wind-swept tumult of robes, wings and clouds. A crowd of grieving mortals watches from below as their hero becomes divine. It's a celestial scramble. In Rubin's sumptuous apotheosis of James I, heaven is chaos and James looks terrified at having arrived. In Barillet's apotheosis of Washington, the dead president has his arms outstretched in a crucified pose, while Father Time and the Angel of Immortality bear him up to heaven. In a mid-1860s apotheosis, a freshly assassinated Lincoln joins Washington in the sky and clings to him in a tight hug. In Fragonard's apotheosis of Franklin, the new god reaches back to earth with one hand while a stern angel grasping his other hand, drags him upward. In 1785, in a Covent Garden theatre, a spectacle premiered depicting Captain James Cook's voyages in the South Pacific. During the final scene of Omai, or A Trip Around the World, at the words, Cook, ever honoured, immortal shall live, an enormous oil painting descended from the ceiling. Philippe Jacques de Lutabourg's Apotheosis of Captain Cook, commissioned for the occasion. Cook is carried up to heaven by the angels Britannia and Fame, but his gaze is directed back at the vertiginous earth, where ships and canoes are facing off in Hawaii's Kealakekua Bay. His expression is queasy, and his eyes seem to plead, don't drop me. Cook had been a revered figure among British seamen, Wherever he goes, he plants English gardens, noted a Sri Lankan anthropologist, not without some disgust. 
Cook's ship was an ark, heavy with sheep, cattle and potted plants, ready to domesticate any savage land he spied. Whenever he took possession of a new South Pacific island for the crown, Cook would sow seeds and set loose pairs of animals, almost in a loving fashion. Among his crew, Cook was allegedly adored as a father who cared deeply for his sailor's health and rarely lost a man. In England, he was renowned as the navigator who determined the boundaries of the habitable world and was praised for his humane conduct in dark, faraway waters. But on his third voyage, on the quest to find the Northwest Passage, Cook had begun to drown in some unseen interior deluge. He sank into a black mood, lost touch with reality, and inflicted punishments on his crew at the slightest whim. He paced the deck and flew into rages that the sailors called Heivas after a Tahitian stomping dance. He spread terror across the islands, torching entire villages and carving crosses into natives' flesh in revenge for petty crimes. Even before he became a god, Cook had staked out the true space of divinity. Violence of the arbitrary kind. After weeks at sea, as supplies of food and water began to run low, his ship, the Resolution, sighted a paradisal shore. Rather than landing, Cook insisted, for no reason at all, that they keep sailing interminably around the coast. As the unhinged captain circled the island, the year turned from 1778 to 1779. Eyes watched from the beach. On the 17th of January, the resolution cast anchor at last in a black sand bay and a crowd of 10,000 gathered to await it. 500 canoes, laden with sugarcane, breadfruit and pigs, glided up to the ship. Histories narrate that for the people of Hawaii, the arrival of Cook was no less than an epiphany. The men hurried to the ship to see the god with their own eyes, wrote the 19th century Hawaiian historian Samuel Kamakau. There they saw a fair man with bright eyes, a high-bridged nose, light hair and handsome features, Good-looking gods they were. An elderly, emaciated priest went on board the resolution and led the deities ashore. Thousands fell to their knees as Cook passed by. The priest led the captain to a thatched temple, wrapped Cook in a red cloth and sacrificed a small pig to him, as the people recited lines from the Hawaii epic Kumulipo, a creation myth. According to the late anthropologist Marshall Salins, among others, Cook's arrival marked an extraordinary coincidence. A ritual, known as the Makahiki, was taking place on Hawaii at the time, in which the god Lono is said to reappear from the distant land of his exile and to seize power over the earth from the king for a period of time. As it circled the island in a clockwise direction, the resolution had inadvertently traced the path of the effigy of Lono as it was borne in a procession around the coast. The idol is made of a pole and crosspiece with white cloth hanging from it, resembling a sail. And Cook, as if following the script of a myth he could not have known, had landed in the bay said to be the god's home. 
his sailors reported that the captain was hailed variously as Lono, Orono, Rono, Eroner, a character that is looked upon by them as partaking something of divinity, the ship surgeon related, echoing a biblical phrase describing Christ. Another word used to greet Cook was Aqua, a Hawaiian term that was translated as God. The Hawaiians fashioned a special idol in Cook's honour, recorded the sailor Heinrich Zimmermann, but using white feathers instead of red. The mariner John Ledyard wrote that the natives observed that the colour of our skins partook of the white from the moon and stars and concluded that the strangers must have some connection with the heavenly bodies. The white men remained on the island for three weeks. They dismantled part of the temple at Hikiao for firewood and turned the rest into an observatory housing their astronomical equipment, which they would take out now and then to stare up at the sky. Each day, the priests ceremoniously presented the British with a barbecued hog. The people would gather all the fruits of their land, sweet potatoes, coconuts, bananas and taro, for these gods from a heaven where food had run out. Can one become trapped, unaware, inside another's myth? During the Makahiki festival, after the Lono effigy has sailed around the island, a ritual is performed known as Kali'i, meaning to strike the king, in which Lono and the king fight a theatrical sham battle. According to Salins, Cook continued, unwittingly, to perform the Makahiki script. On the 3rd of February, the resolution departed Hawaii to continue its explorations in the north, yet was struck by a severe storm and forced to turn back. When the British anchored again in Kealakekua Bay, eight days after they had departed, a fog of suspicion and hostility settled over the island as the people attempted to discern the stranger's reason for returning. The tension soon erupted into violence. Two Hawaii chiefs were killed, and Cook decided to take the king, Kalani Opu'u, hostage. When the captain waded ashore, hundreds of warriors fell upon him with iron daggers and clubs. Following Cook's death, the captain was accorded the traditional rituals for a vanquished chief. His corpse was dismembered, his flesh roasted, and his bones separated and portioned out, with his lower jaw going to Kalani Opu'u, his skull to somebody else, and so on. Among Cook's sailors, who had fled back to the resolution, a general silence ensued, wrote the officer George Gilbert. It was like a dream that we could not reconcile ourselves to. Two priests rode to the ship with a bundle containing a large chunk of the captain's thigh. Along with their charred offering, they brought with them a most extraordinary question. They wished to know when Cook would return to the vessel and resume his former station. Would it be in, a very Christ-like estimate, three days' time? The two men shed abundance of tears at the loss of the Arona. Lieutenant James King recorded, and they asked what he would do to them when he returned. 
On shore, other islanders asserted that he would return in two months and begged our mediation with him in their favour, according to mid-James Trevenant. The German sailor Zimmermann recorded a prophecy. The god Cook is not dead, but sleeps in the woods and will come tomorrow, as translated by an interpreter. Over the following years, the idea seemed to persist that Cook would resurrect. According to the sailor Edward Bell, who visited the bay in 1793, Cook's death had become the definitive frame for the Hawaii sense of time. The natives seem to consider that melancholy transaction as one of the most remarkable events in their history, Bell wrote, and reported that they use it as a date to assist their calendrical calculations. They still, in speaking of him, style him the Orono, and if they are to be believed, most sincerely regret his fate. The accounts by later British travellers to Hawaii emphasise the surprise and guilt felt by the islanders at Cook's death as if they had imagined it to be a play with no consequence. The natives had no idea that Cook could possibly be killed, as they considered him a supernatural being, and were astonished when they saw him fall, reported the English explorer William Mariner in 1806. Despite having killed him, they esteem him as having been sent by the gods to civilise them. These stories, told and retold over generations, Ignore one obvious fact. Cook was killed because he acted rashly and violently, slaughtering chiefs, kidnapping the king, and giving the impression the British had returned to conquer the island. The fur trader James Colnett, who arrived in Hawaii in 1791, reported that ever since the British first appeared, the islanders had been constantly at war and devastated by strange, unknown illnesses all of which they attributed to Cook's revenge. Two volcanoes had awakened and burned night and day, the work, they contended, of the vengeful god. They made strict inquiry of me if ever he would come back again and when I saw him last, Colnett wrote. Thank you for listening to The Guardian Long Read. We'll be back after this. This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. The audio long read is supported by BetterHelp. Here's a question. If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do with it? Watch TV? Read a book? Meet up with a friend? Maybe a little nap? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But for what? Perhaps to best answer that, you need to work out what's truly important to you, then make that a priority. Therapy can help you work out what's most important to you. It isn't just for those who've unfortunately experienced trauma in their lives. 
Therapy can be helpful for learning positive coping skills and for setting boundaries. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash audiolongread today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash audiolongread. Hello, have you listened to The Guardian's weekend podcast yet? Every Saturday, we pick some of the best features from The Guardian and Observer so you can catch up on the reads you've missed without having to stop what you're doing. Listen to celebrity interviews, lifestyle features and opinions from our most popular columnists, including Marina Hyde and John Crace. Just search for Weekend on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This is The Guardian. Welcome back to The Guardian Long Read. When the first missionaries arrived in Hawaii from New England in 1820, they used the cautionary tale of Cook as a potent parable. How vain, rebellious, and at the same time contemptible for a worm, meaning Cook, to presume to receive religious homage and sacrifices from the stupid and polluted worshippers of demons, thundered Hiram Bingham the Calvinist leader of the first evangelical mission. After six months at sea, the Calvinists anchored at the archipelago and found it beset by the thickest heathenism, its sun-drenched landscapes masking terrible despair. Viruses introduced by the British were killing off entire families and villages, and survivors had taken to drinking themselves to death. The great Kamehameha, founder and first king of the newly unified kingdom of Hawaii, had died the previous year, and his son had recently abolished the taboo system, the strict codes that had structured daily life for centuries and which had unravelled after the British arrival. A crisis of faith seemed to grip the islands as temples fell into ruin and the totems of the old gods were destroyed. The nation, without a religion, was waiting for the law of Jehovah, according to one early missionary. The Calvinists blamed the rampant disease and malaise on the Hawaiians' immorality, sexual promiscuity, idol worship, and on their reverencing of Cook. Under the stern Calvinists, the Hawaii language was alphabetized, the Bible was translated, and novel Christian concepts were mapped onto old Hawaii words. Schools and seminaries were opened, and draconian morality laws introduced across the islands. The Queen of Hawaii was among the first to convert, and much of the population followed her. A broom dipped in water baptised 5,000 Hawaiians at once. The myth of Cook as Lono lived on in the history books and school primers the evangelists produced, a tale that perpetuated the whiteness of divinity while simultaneously affirming that Cook and all those who worshipped him were idolaters of the worst kind. 
Along with their indignations, the Calvinist missionaries brought with them a novel concept of private property, simply appropriating whatever land they desired. They were, after all, apostles of a God who possesses the earth. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, the earth and everything in it, Moses had declared. Their children went on to establish enormous sugar plantations, securing international markets for their lucrative crop. The world is to be Christianized and civilized, the evangelist Josiah Strong would assert, capturing the mood of the century. And what is the process of civilization but the creating of more and higher wants? Commerce follows the missionary. In 1840, with a looming threat of an invasion by France, Hawaii sought to clarify its ambiguous territorial status and seek nationhood. The king sent a delegation to the United States and Europe, and three years later, Hawaii was officially pronounced an independent nation. However, the plantation owners, eager to sell their crop tax-free in the US, deeply resented the prospect of Hawaii sovereignty. During the US Civil War, With sugar production halted in the South, the wealth of the white Hawaii oligarchy soared, enabling it to consolidate its grip on the archipelago's economy, from banks, utilities and steamships to local commerce and trade. Beset by illness and poverty, the native Hawaiian population had shrunk to a fifth of its former size. The industrialists deemed Hawaii workers to be lazy and unemployable, casting them aside in favour of labourers from China and Japan whom they could pay even lower wages. In 1893, the sugar cartel, along with a regiment of US Marines, overthrew the Hawaii queen Liliuokalani in an act that even the US president at the time, Grover Cleveland, condemned as unconstitutional. The American military occupation of the archipelago had begun. In the American press, racist cartoonists deployed their anti-black arsenal of caricatures to sketch the Hawaii sovereign grinning as she heated a cannibal cooking pot. They claimed Lily Wakalani was the child of a mulatto shoemaker who illegitimately lorded over her heathenish people. With such colouring, it was argued, she was clearly unfit by nature to rule. Along with the Queen, the US occupiers arrested newspaper editors who supported her and clamped down on the opposition press. This meant that the only news that came out of Hawaii was delivered by the coup's spokesman, who announced that the Queen had willingly surrendered her kingdom and her claim to the land. To this day, the myth that Hawaiians passively accepted the loss of their nation without resistance lives on. Historical accounts make little mention of the fact that 40,000 Hawaiians petitioned against the occupation and protested in the streets. A century later, in 1993, thousands of Hawaiians marched on the Queen's former palace in Honolulu, again calling for independence. Yet the American public imagination rarely questions whether Hawaii wants to be part of the U.S., There is the assumption that Hawaiians, in a distant paradise, must be content. Didn't they venerate a white man as a god? Didn't they prostrate themselves before him, dress him and feed him with all the fruits of their land? 
They killed him in a ritual, but not knowing what they had done. Didn't they, with guilty tears, impatiently await his return? When news of Cook's death finally reached London in January 1780, 11 months after the captain was killed, it was met not with a public outpouring of grief, but a rather morbid fascination at the exotic details. The success of Amai, which starred alongside the apotheosis painting 80 Dancing Savages, some in blackface, inaugurated a new European ritual of slaying Cook on stage. In 1788, the wildly popular Death of Captain Cook, a grand serious pantomimic ballet, premiered in Paris before going on to tour the continent, England and the US. By all accounts, the ballet was violent, chaotic, horrid, overwrought with emotion and a great triumph. Year after year, it was revived and the captain's death reenacted like a blood offering the imperial powers continued to make to guarantee their own ascendance. <laughs> Cook was killed in Yarmouth, Bungie, Leeds, and nine times in Norwich. He was bludgeoned to death in Dublin, clubbed in Quebec, speared on Greenwich Street in Manhattan, and again in Charleston, South Carolina. Navy men got Death of Cook tattoos, and aristocratic women wore dresses inspired by the Indian who killed Captain Cook with his club, as the society diarist Mrs. Hester Thrale noted. By the mid-19th century, P.T. Barnum would joke that the celebrated blunt instrument had multiplied itself, securing a treasured place in every museum vitrine. The poet Anna Seward heaved the captain up to heaven in her 1780 elegy on Captain Cook, to which is added an ode to the sun. To put it bluntly, wrote the anthropologist Gananathobe Sikre, I doubt that the natives created their European god. The Europeans created him for them. An apotheosis can arise in an epiphany, or in an act of prostration, and it can also happen through poetry, and painting through pantomime and translation. What word do you take for God? The Hawaiian syllables were aqua. But this is misleading, for in its original sense, the word could refer to any number of sacred beings, objects, or living persons, anything possessing immense power. So too with the word lono, the crew of the resolution was never able to figure out its precise meaning. Sometimes they applied it to an invisible being who they said lived in the heavens. We also found that it was a title belonging to a personage of great rank and power in the island, Lieutenant King recalled. Not only Cook, but the Hawaiian King, too, was greeted with shouts of Lono. Misinterpretations create gods. Kamakau, the historian, wrote of the coming of Cook in his 1866 Morlelo, or History, a text widely esteemed as the authoritative native account. It was eventually published in English in 1961, after decades of work 
by a team of translators that included the 19th century Australian-born settler and former sugar plantation worker, Thomas Thrum. In the English edition, the story was heavily doctored, ostensibly to conform to Western standards of history writing, as the Hawaiian scholar Noi Noi Silva has shown. Before his description of the arrival of Cook, Kamakau details, over 17 pages, other foreigners who had already arrived by sea, some with pale skin, some with brown. The translators, however, omitted the entire section, transforming the narrative of the appearance of Cook and his ark into a magical, utterly unprecedented event. In the original, Kamakau emphasises the violence, fighting and hostage-taking that culminated in the killing of the captain and concludes with a list. The fruits and seeds that Cook's actions planted sprouted and grew and became trees that spread to devastate the people of these islands. Number one, gonorrhea together with syphilis. Two, prostitution. Three, the false idea that he was a god and worshipped. Four, fleas and mosquitoes. Five, the spread of epidemic diseases. Six, change in the air we breathe. Seven, weakening of our bodies. Eight, changes in plant life. The best part of Cook's visit was that we killed him. The Hawaiian activist Lilikala Kame Alihiwa writes, If man imagines that a god resembles himself, then the god, eventually, must die. Cook has been killed again and again, on the beach, in the theatre, on the page, but the myth of his alleged divinity lingers. With every new death, it lives on. Deicide is on my mind. How do you kill a god if not by bludgeoning, stabbing, piercing, splitting, dismembering, boiling, roasting, distributing? Is it through rewriting history? By exposing the machinations beneath myths? By breaking open syllables so that whatever is sacred inside spills out? Is it by tearing down his image? In the 21st century, across New Zealand, Australia and Hawaii, statues of Cook have been defaced. Strutting across a pedestal in his breeches, telescope in hand, a defaced Cook wears a spray-painted bikini. Around the neck of another Cook hangs a large canvas sign that reads simply, Sorry. The forecast calls for more. White gods will fall like raindrops. It feels as though the heavens are about to open up. For more Guardian Long Reads in text and a selection in audio, go to theguardian.com forward slash long read or find us on SoundCloud at soundcloud forward slash theguardianlongread. Thanks again for listening to The Guardian Long Read. That was How to Kill a God, The Myth of Captain Cook Shows How the Heroes of Empire Will Fall by Anna Della Subin. Read by Ruth Lass and produced by Jessica Beck. The executive producer was Danielle Stevens. This is The Guardian.
Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. When your skin feels nourished and glows, you radiate confidence. Osea makes giving your skin a glow up easy with their clean, clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This seaweed-powered duo features two of Osea's best sellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.